Coming up on Locked on Dodgers, the Dodgers had an off day on Thursday, so no game to talk about, but plenty of Dodgers stuff to talk about. There were articles about Trey Turner and his preference to play on the East Coast, Max Muncy and his swing changes and how much he hates it, but he keeps doing it. Uh, we're going to talk about the postseason pitching staff specifically, and we're going to answer a couple of questions from a loyal listener who emailed into us. We're going to talk about wins above replacement, and we're going to talk about food in L.A. So let's get Locked on Dodgers. You are Locked On Dodgers, your daily Los Angeles Dodgers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Dodger fans. This is Locked On Dodgers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Dodgers your first listen every weekday morning. Remember, this show is free and available on all podcast platforms and on YouTube simply by searching for Locked On Dodgers. Or even better, go ahead and subscribe wherever you're watching or listening right now, and then you'll never miss a day because you know we're not going to. If this is your first time watching or listening, my name is Jeff Snyder. My co-host next to me is Vince Samperio. Nice to be back together. I think this is our first episode together in a week. Uh, Vince and I have had conflicting schedules the last week. Uh, one of the times that it's nice to have a co-host so that uh, we, you know, little bit of a break this week but happy to be back talking to vince vince and i are both lifelong dodger fans just like you are we've also both spent time covering the dodgers in the press box and the locker room so we're not quite insiders but we bring you the smart fans perspective on our boys in blue every weekday morning and today's episode is brought to you by bet online uh, bet online has you covered this season with more props odds and lines than ever before bet online where the game starts all right vince plenty to talk about today uh first of all nice to see you yeah, it's been uh, been a minute. We, you know, I feel like September the Dodgers clinched. You know, in a sense, we've kind of clinched. So we we deserve a couple of days here and there. Um, I'm getting into a new routine, so uh, it's been a lot to wake up at 4:30 in the morning to go work out. But I'm I'm trying to better myself, so uh, I'm all good now. We're we're set. We're we're in we're in ready mode. That's good. Yeah. Uh, our, our listeners have been getting our hangover lineup the last couple of days, but you know, <laughs> like the Dodgers, our hangover lineup is still better than other podcasts, a game. So uh, that's why you're here. Uh, you know, a lot to get, get to today. So let's jump right in. Uh, first thing I want to talk about Trey Turner. There was an interesting article. We're going to be talking about a few articles that Bill Plunkett wrote uh, in the Orange County Registry register registry. Uh, Bill Plunkett, obviously a very good reporter, gets a lot of the inside scoop on stuff. And he wrote an article about Trey Turner and his upcoming uh, free agency. And, and Trey confirmed, oh, uh, the Orange County Register's website plays music. Um, and Trey confirmed that uh, we, what we already knew, that they had he had talked with the Dodgers during spring training about a possible extension, but that. Uh, those talks didn't go anywhere, so they decided to just focus on the season. And Trey says, so we haven't talked since then, but I'm sure we'll be talking in a, a few weeks, which was kind of interesting just because a few weeks could mean a lot of different things. Uh, you know, I assume he just meant after the Dodgers are done playing baseball, hopefully in early November. Although you could read into a more literal uh, reading of a few weeks could suggest the six days that they have off between the end of the regular season and the start of their postseason maybe they'll have some conversations i don't know that's that actually is closer to a few weeks away from now uh but the really interesting stuff in there was you know we've heard all about trey turner and his preference to play on the east coast and a lot of people think it's a foregone conclusion he's not going to stay with the dodgers because he uh wants to play on the east coast and uh 
And he actually, Trey acknowledged that he actually helped create that perception a little bit. Uh, he said, I originally said that, so I wouldn't necessarily get traded to certain places. I was trying to control as much as I could because a lot of it was out of my control. Yeah, I'm an East Coast guy, but with free agency, you get a chance to pick and control as much as you can in your entire career. I'm open to anything, really. Everything is in play. That was more for a trade and an extension in a place I didn't really know. I didn't want to get traded and then get offered an extension right away and not know anything about the city and stuff. To me, that would be all based off of money, and that's not how I want to make my decision. Obviously, that's a factor, but a lot more goes into it. I think it was more of that. Yeah, I'm from the East Coast. Would I like to go back? Sure. But I think L.A. has been really good to me. And uh, I, I don't know, Vince. I I, I never really bought into uh, – a lot of baseball players end up playing somewhere other than where they grew up. You know, a lot of baseball players grow up where there's no major league baseball and they end up playing somewhere, you know, uh, some guys end up playing for Chipper Jones grew up a Dodger fan, ended up playing his whole career with the Braves who were the Dodgers division rivals for his whole childhood. You know, very little of that ever comes into play. And we hear it all the time about, you know, though this guy, he really wants to go home and play wherever Freddie Freeman Coming home to the Dodgers, that was clearly his second choice. You know, Freddie Freeman wanted to stay in Atlanta. So I don't know. What do you think about Trey's preference for the East Coast? And do you think it really affects the Dodgers' chances to sign him? I don't think so. I mean, realistically, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Um, you know, I always wanted to stay in L.A. And I ended up moving to the Bay uh, for almost or almost three years just because I had the opportunity to do so. And it was uh, the best opportunity I had at the time. So that's what... You know, it's going to come down to best opportunity. You know, Trey's had a sense of winning pretty much his whole career. The Nationals were good up until last year, and then he got traded to the Dodgers. The Dodgers have been, you know, the best team in baseball uh, since he's been here. So there's that. There's obviously he wants to play. You know, if you're from the East Coast, yeah, you want to go back to the East Coast. But that's just more of a like, oh, yeah, I'd, li I'd like to play on the East Coast. Realistically, you're going to go where somebody wants you. And that's the other part. Somebody has to want you. It's one of those East Coast teams has to offer you money that you would deem uh, is good enough for you to go play for them. And, uh, you know, realistically, the Marlins and, and you know, Mets have a shortstop. Yankees, I guess, could go after a shortstop. I don't think the Marlins will pay out for him. Uh, the Nationals, I don't think he's going to go back there. They aren't ready to win, and they kind of have a shortstop. Obviously, not as good as straight Turner. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. And realistically, I think it's not going to come down to all money maybe, but it's going to come down to who gives him money. Yeah. And to the extent that it doesn't come down to money, it's probably more likely going to come down to where can I have fun winning baseball games? than is this kind of close to where I grew up? You know, Trey's from the Miami area, just North of Miami. He went to college in North Carolina. That's where he met his wife. Uh, he's not going to go to the Marlins because uh, a lot of reasons, including he wants to win baseball games. Uh, there's no baseball team in North Carolina. And so really is Philadelphia actually that much better geographically than LA? You know, it's like, oh, it's only an hour and a half flight instead of a three hour flight when I want to go home. Okay. You know, it, that's literally an hour and a half, an extra hour and a half, what, six times a year. Are you going to make a decision based on nine hours of your life? I really don't think so. And so, yeah, I, I think Trey Turner has seen, oh, playing for the Dodgers. Wow, it's uh, you win a lot of baseball games. It's a lot of fun. Mookie and Trey or M Mookie and Freddie are signed long term. I could bat between these guys for the next five years. And 
I think that's going to, and obviously the Dodgers have money. They're going to offer him a lot of money. I don't know if they'll offer him the most money, but seems like that's going to come into play a lot because uh, as a baseball player, winning games is fun. And we saw it. I mean, Trey mentioned it before about the transition period. It came, it, it took from coming to the Dodgers and trying to get acclimated. We saw it last year. You could tell that he wasn't quite all in. You know, he was a little bit more serious, a little bit not as enthusiastic, or at least it looked like he was still playing well. Uh, but, it, you know, we just didn't get that sense. And then this year, completely different guy. He's been part of a bunch of little traditions. You know, he started the the tap on the head. He had the Barnes, he had the Barnes uh, captain shirts made up. He can tell that he's having more fun, that he's acclimated. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, realistically, if it comes down to it on the Dodgers offer anywhere in the ballpark of anyone else, you got to imagine that he's going to consider coming here because, you know, like I said, he's going to win. Weather's great. Weather's way better than the East Coast weather in general. And he can always go back to the East Coast in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and hopefully he will. The, the Dodgers are going to want him, and hopefully he will stay in L.A. We're going to come back in a minute. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, postseason pitching staff for the Dodgers and some things that might complicate that, uh, maybe in a good way, but uh, just basically how much there's a lot more guys who can say they deserve a spot on the postseason roster than there will actually be postseason roster spots. So thank you for making Locked on Dodgers your first listen every weekday morning, and please keep it Locked on Dodgers. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your pro and college football betting needs and sports info this season. Find all the latest football league developments, developments, game matchups, news, and podcasts, including this year's opening week's games. BetOnline is also your continued source for all your sporting wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. The fastest and easiest way to check in on all your favorite sports and events, including MLB, MMA, boxing, and golf. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and action. Bet online, where the game starts. All right, Vince, we are back, and it's time to talk a little bit about the postseason pitching staff. You know, we've touched on this in a few different ways uh, over the last couple of weeks. Now that the Dodgers have clinched the division, you know, it's uh, just in case jinxes do exist, you know, you don't want to talk too much about postseason roster. Now we know there will be a postseason roster. Uh, we're getting pretty close to knowing for sure that the Dodgers won't be playing in the wild card round. Their magic number to clinch that first round by is five uh, between them and the Cardinals. So, uh, you know, things are getting more and more clear. And uh, there was news the other day, uh, I guess, it, yeah, just uh, yesterday uh, or on Wednesday, several guys, I think four injured pitchers through bullpen sessions uh, in Arizona and uh, Dave Roberts gave some updates on all of those guys. Tony Gonsolin, uh, Roberts came out feeling encouraged with Gonsolin's outing, but it was kind of interesting. Uh, what the the things that Roberts said, he said, kind of the theme of our pitching staff as we look out is having the sum be better than the individual parts in the sense of getting twenty seven outs in a game in a in the postseason. I don't know how it will look for Tony. As far as potential buildup or workload, everything is on the table as it should be, but it's all contingent about how he's feeling. Uh, it's all about winning a baseball game, winning a series, preventing runs, scoring runs. So however we can do that, whether it's a little bit more creative or not normal, I don't think we're concerned about it, nor are our players. So Dave Roberts is opening up the possibility that Tony Gonson might not be 
built up to be a starter in the postseason, which isn't surprising. Uh, when he went on the injured list, the hope was that he would only miss the 15 days, actually the 12 days with the backdating of the stint. Uh, he's well past that already, and uh, it's going to be more. And so, yeah, it's realistic to think he might only be built up to throw four-ish innings. And uh, and that got me thinking about the possibility, you know, if Gonson's healthy, the Dodgers have six starting pitchers. And all six of those guys have been good enough to say that they deserve a spot on the postseason roster. They're not going to use six starters in the postseason. Uh, but but a thought I had as I was reading about this is if you assume that Julio and Kershaw are starters in the postseason and then your other two spots, you really only need four starters. If your other two spots, you go with piggyback starts and go with in, in game three, you go with Tyler Anderson and Tony Gonsolin, just like they did at the start of the season, piggybacking those starts. You know, if Gonsolin's not built up, Tyler Anderson is definitely built up. And so, you know, if you start with Gonsolin and say, okay, take us as far as you can, and, you know, Gonsolin gets you through three or four innings, well, then you got Tyler Anderson. Tyler Anderson can definitely handle the last five or six innings of a game. You know, obviously effectiveness is a question. You know, are you going to – you're not just going to say, okay, you're finishing the game no matter what, but that puts you in a position to, if they're, if they pitch well, to get a full nine innings out of those two guys, which saves your bullpen uh, for that day. And then game four, it's Andrew Heaney and Dustin May. And, you know, if you start with Heaney and just like we talked about a week or two ago, he's so much better the first time through the order than the second time, just say, okay, you're facing nine guys, Andrew, try to get us three innings, uh, at least get us two innings, you know, and then Dustin May, May is built up for five or six innings. That's seven or eight innings that you get from that spot, which means you're doing okay. You know, if you're getting six or seven from Julio, six or seven from Kershaw, and then nine from Gonsolin and Anderson and seven or eight from May and, and Heaney, you don't need a ton of relievers, which is probably a good thing because if you're doing that, there's only seven spots for relievers on the roster. So uh, we'll, we'll get to the reliever question in a second, but Vince, I, I wanted to get your thoughts on that idea of using all six starters to fill four starting spots in the rotation. Yeah. On my episodes this past week, I've talked about how I believe Tyler Anderson deserves a spot as a starting pitcher uh, for, for the postseason. I talked about how I don't think the Dodgers are going to use openers and I'm, I think I might have briefly mentioned this plan of piggybacking at some point. But when it comes to it, you know, it, it's it's risky. Obviously, uh, you know, going with four starting pitchers is risky already in itself. You know, pitching in general risky is in itself. Uh, but it's risky in the sense that, okay, if one guy doesn't have it, yeah, the other guys are built up to where they could go multiple innings and it might not cost you anything. Uh especially like early in a series, but it's just a matter of figuring out how you want to do it, dividing up innings, you know, kind of mapping out days, uh, which is all things the Dodgers can do, which is all things that they've done before. It, I think it leaves you open a little bit to, you know, kind of some chaos happening or maybe you having to injure lit, you know, IL someone and, and cause them to miss uh, that series and the next series because you know you need extra arms but if you're confident in your offense you're confident in you know julio and kershaw and then you're confident in the other guys and and everything else then yeah it's a it's a solid plan because you know we saw starting like 2019 ish they 
so the 2018-2019 is the Dodgers started using guys in different spots a little bit. We saw other teams use guys in different spots. You know, you hate to say the name, but Madison Bumgarner came through and, and came up and filled different spots. And other guys had done that. David Price, uh, Chris Sale the year before, you know, 2018 against the Dodgers. We've seen that happen. Not until 2020 did it kind of come to fruition, but it also maybe hurt themselves a little bit with Gonsolin May and how they handled that situation. And, you know, those guys never really figured it out in 2020. Uh, Dustin May, finally, he did get it uh, toward the end, but it was still a long process to get there. So it's a matter of, you know, what do you want to do? What do you want to go? Guys have to be on board with it, and there's a lot to it. But knowing this staff, knowing Dave Roberts, knowing Andrew Friedman, knowing how they talk to guys, I would trust them if this is the way they want it to go. Uh, and honestly, I'm on board with with kind of either way, because as long as you get your best arms in there, it doesn't really matter how you deploy them because you're going to deploy them at some point to get 20, those 27 outs like Roberts mentioned. Yeah, and, and 2020 was a tricky one just because they didn't have off days in the postseason. So you had to have five starters. And then they swept the Brewers and then they swept the Padres. And so by the time Gonsolin pitched in the NLCS, it had been two and a half weeks since he had thrown a pitch because they had to hold him in reserve in case the NLDS did go five games. And then it only went three, you know, and, and kind of the same for May. Uh, that That's one of the things I like about this piggyback idea that everybody's going to get their innings. And, and it, in a way, it also kind of uh, mitigates for that potential chaos because you know if Andrew Heaney starts a game and doesn't have it he gives up two runs in the first inning you say okay you're done you threw one inning instead of the two or three we were hoping for uh so Dustin May give us your five or six and then it's just a regular bullpen game after that oh we need the bullpen to get the last three innings okay we we can handle that you know whereas uh, if if you go in with Andrew Heaney as a starter or even you know anybody as a starter and they blow up it's like, crap, now we have to fill seven innings with the bullpen, and uh, this would help mitigate with for that possibility. But the one of the things that might be working against that idea is the fact that it, you can only have 13 pitchers on your postseason roster. So if six of those spots are filled with these starters or piggyback starters, that only leaves seven spots for relievers, which as far as getting the job done doesn't concern me that much. I think with that plan, seven relievers would be plenty. The challenge is uh, the Dodgers are expecting Blake Trinan back. They're expecting uh, Bruce Dargrarol back. They're expecting Yancy Almonte back, and they're expecting David Price back. If all those guys come come back, you've got 10 guys who can realistically say they deserve a, shot, a spot on the postseason roster. You've got Trinan, Gratterall, Evan Phillips, Craig Kimbrell, Alex Vesia, Caleb Ferguson, Chris Martin, Tommy Canley, Almonte, and Price. That's 10 guys for seven spots. And, you know, at that point, yeah, may, maybe it, it seems like, you know, David Price is probably an obvious odd man out with, even though he's been good at times this year, uh, coming off the injured list, not, you know, just so much uncertainty there, maybe. Uh, but I don't know. It's hard to pick th uh, two other guys there and say, you know, you figure Vessia and Ferguson are locks because they're both lefties. Uh, you figure that Phillips is for sure a lock. Uh, Kimbrell depends on what happens between now and then. You know, it's kind of the old uh, Kenley Jansen thing that we talked about all, all the time. If he's not the closer, he's probably not good enough to be on the roster at all. Uh, but, you know, assuming that that the loss to the Diamondbacks was a blip and that Kimbrell uh, remains the guy we saw for the, the eight games before that, uh, you know, he's going to de deserve a spot. So I don't know. It's hard to pick 
three guys out of those 10 to say, uh, sorry, you're not going to be on the roster this series. Yeah. And you know, all this, it also kind of break down into who they play and everything else as, as obviously anything goes when it comes to October. So yeah, the Dodgers have a lot, um, you know, and also we're talking about this on September 15th and it's very possible that by October 6th, by the time the regular season ends or whatever the regular season, fourth, sixth, one of those days, uh, that it could be figured out on their own because of injuries or because of ineffectiveness or because of different things that happen. So yeah, we can talk all about it now. It might change from there, but if it was sitting as it is now, I don't know if I'd go full in with two piggyback games, but I do think I might consider one piggyback. game. All right. I guess that's a, a decent compromise. I'm all in on the piggybacks and I think, there's worse things in life than having too many good relievers and having three guys who you have to say, you know what, go to Arizona, go to the stay hot camp, and we're going to get you in next series, you know, especially with so many guys coming off injury. You know, Yancy Almonte has been out for a while, and I don't think it would be the end of the world to say, okay, Yancy, uh, you're not going to be on every series roster, but you're going to be pitching for us in the postseason, you know, and, and you know, you're kind of piggybacking those roster spots too. You know, if you, if you say, okay, David Price is the odd man out. He's the one we know isn't going to be in. And then you say, okay, uh, Yancy Almonte and Tommy Canely, you guys get one roster spot. You'll alternate series. And then, uh, you know, whether it's Trinan and Gratterall because they're both coming back from injury or, you know, Chris Martin with one of those guys or, or whatever it is, I think you can, you know, that also helps keeping your relievers fresh uh, for from series to series because they are, no, not getting the Brandon Morrow treatment every series. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it really does seem right now, like you said, three weeks before the season ends, like the Dodgers might have too many good arms for the postseason uh, injury. And even right now, four of these guys we're talking about, or five of these guys we've talked about are currently on the injured list. So there's a lot of question marks between now and then. Uh, and this is all best case scenario, but yeah, a lot of fun to think about anyway. And it'll be interesting to see how Dave Roberts and Andrew Friedman and everybody decide to, not even just within the games, but actually to create these rosters because there's uh, not many questions on the position player side, but a lot of questions on the pitching side. Uh, all right, we're going to come back. We have a couple thoughts about Max Muncy and then a couple questions from a listener. So thank you again for making Locked on Dodgers your first listen every weekday morning, and please keep it Locked on Dodgers. All right, Vince, we are back. One last segment. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about Max Muncy. Don't want to go too uh, into too much detail here, but another good article by Bill Plunkett in the Orange County Register about Muncy and his swing change that gave a little bit of insight into how that came about. Uh, it was in late July when the Dodgers were in Colorado, and it was actually being in Colorado, it got them, Muncy and Robert Von Skoyak and, and the whole staff, thinking about Nolan Arenado. And Arenado is one of the most famous examples of a guy who does that little step back thing in the batter's box and uh, that they, they had tried a ton of things with Muncie and it all worked. Uh, they knew exactly what the problem was mechanically. And, and the article by Plunkett uh, goes into detail. Muncie explaining what the problem is. If you're not a hitting nerd, it doesn't, won't mean that much to you, but uh, suffice it to say that Muncie knew exactly why he was struggling and they would work on that in the cage, and then he'd get into a game, and his body would just go back to doing what came naturally, what felt comfortable, even though that wasn't the best mechanically for him. And, and so what they were trying to do was find something that would work in the cage and carry over to games. 
And uh, that's what that step back did. And I thought it was really interesting. You know, you and I have talked a couple of times about how it might've just been that concept of clearing his head and not thinking about it. And, and uh, what Muncie said, he said, the fact that I didn't have to think about it gave us hope that when I took it into the game, because that's the hardest part. When you get into the batter's box, if you're having to think about anything, then you're already defeated. You have to have a free mind in the batter's box. You can't be thinking about mechanics. So with, with a step back, all Muncie had to do was do the step back, and that got his entire body mechanically where he needed it to be. And so he didn't have to think about mechanics. All he had to think about was step back and then the body and trust that the body is doing what it needs to do. So he did it and it carried over the games. But the thing that I found most interesting, Vince, is that Muncie says in the article, he doesn't like it. It's not comfortable and he wants to quit. You know, we, we know he had a cortisone shot in his knee because of pain caused by this step back. And uh, he, he wants to quit. But what he says is, but it's working. So why he said, we're still at the point where I would like to get rid of it because I don't like doing it. But why, why would I get rid of it when it's working right now? It's putting me in the right position and I'm willing to bet on myself that I can make things happen with the bat as long as I'm in the right position. It's not a long-term plan, but at the same time, if it keeps working, why wouldn't it be a long-term plan? And I thought that was so insightful and honest from Muncie and it was a really good article going into detail about these changes that Muncie made. Yeah. And you know, when you think about it, even if his mind isn't fully cleared, but his mind's just thinking, okay, I have to step back. I have to step back. Then everything else, like you said, falls into place and it, it just comes from a clear mind of what you need to do. And for him to realize, you know, we've heard inklings of Cody Bellinger and things that he doesn't feel comfortable with. And he doesn't necessarily, you know, want to do uh, and he hasn't necessarily improved. Max Muncy on the opposite end is doing what's uncomfortable for him, but it's working. And yeah, that, that's really just all you can really ask for at this point. You got to go through it, finish out the season. And then if you want to make an adjustment or figure things out again in the off season, go ahead. But for now you got to ride with what's hot and, and what's hot is, is doing what he's doing. Yep, absolutely. Uh, one last thing we want to talk about today. We got an email from Brian Oshinomi who uh, last time we read one of his questions on the air, he told us we'd got close enough on his name. So uh, I think that's about how we pronounced it last time. So that's how we're going with it again today. And uh, he actually said a question about favorite places to eat in LA. I think we'll save that one for the next off day conversation because I, I have a feeling Vince has a lot of, a lot to say about that. I have very little to say about that because I don't live in LA. And when I am there, I generally just get Jack in the box because I don't have that up here where I live. Uh, so, uh, but, Brian also asked about war wins above replacement. He said, I've heard of war being used a lot more to compare players, especially in the AL MVP race. I heard on MLB tonight, that Aaron judge is worth nine more this year compared to Shohei Otani's war. We just mentioned Shohei Otani, which means that uh, we can mention Shohei Otani in the description of this episode, which means that more people will watch and listen to this episode. So thank you. Shohei Otani, Shohei Otani, Shohei Otani. Uh, Brian says, you also brought it up a few episodes ago when it pertains to the pre-arbitration players bonus pool split. Uh, and he has two questions. A, when talking about war, what value does the replacement player have? For example, if the Giants were an entire team of zero war players, does the team win 81 games? Should the team win zero games? Uh, and then a second question, is there a general monetary value for war? I.e., if one war is worth about $9 million, then judges value this year is a projected $81 million. Uh, And so... 
really good questions. And hopefully uh, this is the kind of stuff I love answering. So I hope it won't be tedious for people who do get this, but uh, I, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff here. Uh, War, uh, the, the mythical replacement player is not a never win player and it's not a 500 team. So the actual answer, Brian, is actually in between the two uh, examples you gave in the question. Uh, if a team is full of zero war players, you wouldn't expect them to win 81 games and you wouldn't expect them to win zero games. You would expect them to win about 52 games. They'd win about 32% of the time. Uh, that's that's kind of what they've determined. And there's a lot of geeky math that goes into this. A, a replacement player is defined as a player that anybody could grab out of AAA from another team off the waiver wire, whatever. Uh, it's not you know, uh, people used to say, well, how can replacement really be when, you know, Lou Gehrig replaced Wally Pip and he was, so the replacement player was better. No, this is about just in general, you know, this is, uh, you have a guy go down and you say, okay, uh, I'm going to grab this guy out of AAA from another team for cash considerations. That's your replacement player. And a team full of those guys would win about 52 games a year because baseball is crazy. And even the worst teams win about 52 games a year. Uh, and so we can look at the Dodgers this year and see how that lines up. The Dodgers currently have what 98 wins, I think. And, uh, they have, uh, according to baseball reference, there's, there's multiple versions of war that makes it confusing too. Uh, but they're, they're close enough for these purposes. According to baseball reference, the, uh, offensive players for the Dodgers have a combined 30.2 war, uh, led by Mookie Betts is 6.1. The pitchers have a combined war of 24.7, led by Tony Gonsolin's 4.7. That adds up, you know, the, the 30.2 plus 24.7 adds up to 54.9 war. So that's what the Dodgers have put up so far, 54.9 war, which means over the course of the season, uh, if, so let's say through 142 games, how many games should they have won since they've put up 54.9 war so far this year? A 320 winning percentage, which is 52 wins times 142 games, means the Dodgers should have won about 45 and a half games so far this year uh, if they were a if they were a replacement team. Pl add in the 54.9 war, and you get 100.3 wins. So basically, the Dodgers by war should have won 100 wins, 100 games. They've won 98. Their Pythagorean record says they should have won 103. It's all right there in the ballpark. So you, we can see there that War does a pretty good job estimating how good the Dodgers should be based on how good their individual players are. So uh, that that's what War is. That answers that first part of your question. And then the second part, Brian, is there a general monetary value for War? There is, although that changes from year to year because basically it, it's just look. They, they look and see, okay, how much is War earning on the open market? And as we know, the last couple of years, the free agent market has has had its ups and downs. But this most last most recent offseason, uh, the the per war average was about five point three or five point four million dollars per war on the free agent market, which means if Aaron Judge has a nine war season, then he was worth whatever, you know, nine times five point four, which would be about forty eight point six million dollars probably. Uh, and, and that feels about right as far as judges value, you know, it's going to go up a little bit more. He's still playing. If he ends up at 10 war, you know, he's probably worth 54 million bucks for the year. Uh, doesn't mean that is what he gets paid. It, it doesn't even mean that's what he'd get on the free agent market because war isn't linear. There's risks to tying up that much 
uh, money in one player. There's also benefits to getting that much war from one player because he only takes up one roster spot. So there's a lot that goes into it and a lot that goes into that MVP consideration when you're arguing Aaron Judge or Shohei Otani because Otani plays two positions, only takes up one spot, but Judge plays defense and Otani doesn't. And so there's so much that goes into that. And war is an interesting component of that argument because Aaron Judge does have a higher war than Shohei Otani, even when you combine Otani's uh, offense and pitching, simply because last year Otani was clearly the MVP because he was one of the best pitchers in, in the American League and the best hitter in the American League. Here, Otani is a very good pitcher and a very good hitter, but he's not near the top, or not at the top anyway, in either of them. And so I think it's easier to make the case for Judge having a historic season. I don't know, Vince, uh, maybe we'll have to do a, an, an episode where we drift away from the Dodgers and actually talk about the Judge versus Otani argument because it is uh, compelling and another excuse to do it on a different episode, talk about Shohei Otani, Shohei Otani, Shohei Otani. I don't know. Do you have any Shohei Otani thoughts, Vince? Yeah, but like I said, we'll, we'll save them for uh, when we actually talk about it. But uh, I'm a big fan of Shohei Otani. I'm hoping I'm going to Angel game tonight, so hopefully I get to see him. I like Shohei Otani, too. I like saying his name, too. Shohei Otani. Um, all right. Anyway, Brian, thank you for the questions. And uh, we would love if you guys have any questions like that. I'm a stat nerd. I really enjoy this stuff. I like talking about it. And uh, I'm happy to answer any questions you have like that. Uh, I hope that was helpful. I think that does it for us today, right, Vince? Yep, that's it. All right. Thank you all for making Locked On Dodger your first listen. It really does mean a lot to us. Now for your second listen, check out the Locked On MLB podcast. MLB expert Paul Francis Sullivan brings humor, passion, and unique perspective on every team and the biggest stories around the league. Follow the number one daily league-wide podcast, Locked On MLB, on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get podcasts. Uh, if you're not watching or listening to Locked on Dodgers every day, we'd love if you had one or two days a month to your rotation. If you have friends or family who love the Dodgers like you do, please tell them about the show. You can follow us on Instagram and on Twitter at Locked on Dodgers. Vince is on Twitter at Vince Semperio. I'm on Twitter at Snydog, and the DMs are open in all of those places if you want to reach out to us. You can also send us an email like Brian did at LockedOnDodgers at gmail.com, or you can send us, send us a voicemail or a text message at 323-863-LOCK-5625. We are here every weekday morning, and we hope you'll be here with us. When you get in your car or sit on your couch, tell your smart device to play podcast Locked on Dodgers. And remember, you don't have to agree. You just have to listen. We'll talk to you on Monday. Have a good one.